press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Monday, December 5. There's a stalemate between the federal and state governments, and it's all about how to cut your energy bill. Anthony Albanese wants to put price caps on coal. But New South Wales and Queensland will only agree if the Commonwealth compensates coal miners. And the mining companies say they're being left out of the discussions. Time's running out to save households from the 50% rises in both electricity and gas forecast for the coming two years. The UN says Papua New Guinea's population is 17 million, nearly twice as big as previously estimated at 9 million. The new population estimate comes from satellite modelling and household surveys. And it makes PNG even poorer and more fragile than previously thought. Development experts say if the UN numbers are right, PNG is much closer to being a failed state, potentially needing even more urgent help from Australia. A mother who lost her son to suicide was shockingly misled by Queensland's DNA lab about his remains. Joanna Locke, a 74-year-old lady, has told the Australian the lab's mistakes and its failure to tell the truth have destroyed her family. We'll have that story later in the episode. But first, why we shouldn't give up on the Socceroos and why their World Cup defeat might be what football in this country really needs. Stay with us. Martinez, he's been wasting time and he'll lie on that ball for a little bit longer and he's just kept his side in it. Big left hand, huge chance for Australia and that's surely it, the referee looking at his watch. The Socceroos' dream run captivated the nation but it's all sadly come to an end. Australia was knocked out of the World Cup after losing to Argentina. Australia's qualification for the round of 16 and back-to-back wins over Tunisia and Denmark surprised the world. And may very well have changed our relationship with football. I'm joined now by the Australian's John Stensholt, who's our lists editor and also an expert on the Socceroos. John, how did the Socceroos really fare despite the temporary heartbreak we're all going through right now? Oh, look, I think uh, there's mixed emotions, as there always is when it comes to football, Claire. Uh, look, Argentina was always going to be a, a bridge too far, I suspected. We weren't really close, but, you know, the game probably panned out to, you know, 2-1 loss, an honourable loss. Like any game at the highest level of any sport, there's always a, comes down to a couple of key moments, you know, a couple of centimetres here and there, and that proved to be the case with the two Argentina goals, and Australia had a very late chance, a couple of late chances, actually, couldn't quite score, and, and here we are. So we've gone out with our heads held high, I think, but it's always the case, I think, in football. Now, who should Australian fans be barracking for for the rest of the tournament? Last time we went out to the round of 16 into Italy in 2006, Italy went on to win the World Cup, actually, that year. So perhaps Argentina might do that again, and it'd be a huge story for Lionel Messi. Uh, there's probably a lot of English fans around too that want England to win. Uh, they'll be playing Monday morning at 6am against Senegal. There's always a lot of uh, hope for Brazil too. But I think probably Argentina will be in a lot of people's hearts now. 
I think many Australians, and I'm sure not you, were surprised that the Socceroos made it this far, given that, you know, soccer is not our forte as a nation. How should we regard these Socceroos and this coach, Graham Arnold, in the long sweep of history? Definitely as overachievers. I don't think there's any doubt about that. This is a collection of players from, you know, a lot of them play in the Scottish Premier League, which is not a very big league, uh, play here in the A-League in Australia. There's a couple of players that play at higher levels, but funnily enough, they didn't get much game time this time around. Awe Mobile in Spain, uh, Rustic, who plays at uh, Verona in Italy, they've had injury problems or not getting a game. So the overachievers, I think they, they certainly, you know, we take them to our hearts because they made the round of 16. It's a historic achievement. Uh, I think the what the game needs to do is, uh, you know, in the future is not necessarily regard this as, as as a huge moment, but as perhaps as a base, as a foundation to build into the future. You know, we have an amazing collection of athletes in this country, uh, male and female. And by the way, the Matildas 2023 Women's World Cup next year is something to look forward to. You wrote a book about the A-League called The Inside Story of the Tumultuous First Decade. Where is soccer at now in Australia? Is it still in tumult and upheaval? seems to be in constant tumult here in Australia. Look, there, there's always upheaval. An administrator once said to me that soccer tends to have a revolution every 10 years or so, and uh, I think it's just gone through one in the last couple of years. Look, hopefully there's peace. Uh, this is what you know, football needs in this country is just uh, to stop the infighting. You know, the A-League club owners are in charge of the league now. They've actually uh, separated from Football Australia, the governing body. So, you know, effectively it's been privatised, it's been corporatised, there's private equity money that's been injected into the league. There's still problems there. There's there's clubs that don't attract enough crowds. There's clubs that, are, you know, have, have, have some, uh, you know, financial problems themselves. There is so much that it could grow to. It actually had a really good spring after the last time we made the round of 16 in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. They were fantastic years for the league. Uh, the hope is that uh, that's what happens again. And what about internationally, John? Do you think FIFA now will regard giving the tournament to Qatar as a good idea? You know, has the tournament gone well enough for them to have got away with the reputational risk that that involved? What happens off the field is it seems to be entirely different to what happens on the field. I think they'll judge it as a success because there are nations from Asia, from Africa that have made it through to the second round and it's expanded the game recent years away from the Europe and South American sort of axis that's always dominated. The US uh, will host it with Mexico and Canada next time around. So again, it's going into a newer market. FIFA doesn't really like being told what to do. They really judge things on how much money the tournament makes. It's probably going to do pretty well in that regard. And it really probably is a little bit of a made-for-TV spectacular these days. The action was probably at home. You see the Australian fans gathering all around the country in front of huge screens and so on. So maybe that's, you know... Uh, I think FIFA will probably judge his success because of things like that. John Stenzolt is The Australian's Lists editor and his book, A-League, is available wherever great books are sold. Coming up, Joanna Locke was told her son must have been switched at birth because his DNA didn't match her own. That wasn't true, but the bungling of Queensland's forensics laboratory have destroyed her family. Our national crime correspondent, David Murray, joins us next with how he uncovered this story. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt 
a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Listeners to The Australian's podcast, Shandy's Story, are very familiar with the swirling scandal around Queensland's DNA lab. The Commission of Inquiry into Queensland's troubled DNA lab has heard how a former boss stopped testing samples without written approval. Let's go to Queensland now and more explosive revelations unearthed during the DNA forensic lab inquiry. It started when the Australian reported that the lab had been unable to find any usable DNA in a pool of blood or on a human arm, for example. That story has now grown into a commission of inquiry which is due to report to the Queensland Premier on December 13. Our colleague David Murray, the national crime correspondent, has been working on which other cases this scandal might have affected. And this week, Dave received a very touching handwritten letter from a lady who'd read one of Dave's stories. Dave, tell me, who was the letter from and what did it say? This was a case where it was a really beautiful letter from a woman named Joanna Locke. And she was writing to me about a story that I'd written a couple of weeks earlier that was on the front page of The Weekend Australian. And you and I have talked about this case before, where the DNA lab had made a horrendous stuff up where... Some human remains were found on the banks of the Brisbane River and there was DNA testing. Everything pointed to those remains being that of a missing man named Tim Henderson. But when the lab did their tests, they could find no genetic link between those remains and Tim Henderson's parents. And the end result was that they were convinced it was Henderson and so they had told his mother that her son must have been switched at birth. So he was 24 years old when he died. Yes, she was absolutely adamant by the sounds of it, Dave, that her baby had not been switched at birth, that the young man who she'd raised was Tim Henderson. And she believed that these were his remains, didn't she? And when we did the story originally, I couldn't reach her. And in her letter, she explained that she had changed her name. And so that might have been one of the reasons why she was hard to find. We didn't actually name her son or her family, but she recognised that from reading the story, actually a family member rang her and she went down to the local shops and bought the paper. And she was just overjoyed that this case had made it in front of the inquiry, albeit in documents, some of the many hundreds of thousands of pages of documents provided to the inquiry. When I called her, she said she'd actually really wanted the inquiry to go back and look at her son's case because she felt it hadn't really been resolved. She still had these lingering doubts about the testing in that case. Dave, this happened 20 years ago. Tim Henderson's remains were found in 2002 and 2003. It's now 2022. Why was no one at the lab or in the Queensland government concerned enough by this obvious mistake to order the kind of inquiry back then that we're seeing now? We are seeing what looks like a bit of a culture of concealment going back many, many years where there's lots of concerns in the documents about what it would look like if scandals like this came to the public's attention. The lab going back many years had been on the front page of the paper for all the wrong reasons, for backlogs in cases, 
The documents certainly indicate that there was concern that if this got out, it would be negative. It would be a negative story for the lab. Dave, we know that the Commissioner, Walter Sofronoff, is going to report to the Premier on December 13, but it feels like there's going to be a huge amount of unfinished business. Cases out there, just like Mrs Locke's, where there's no resolution and, and people feel that they've been lied to. So what should we be hoping for from this review to make sure this stops happening and that we get some answers for the cases that are still unsolved? Whatever happens, there needs to be someone independent brought in to run DNA testing in Queensland and someone independent to ensure that cases that weren't handled properly over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years do have a chance to be tested properly so that victims aren't failed again, and potentially even people who are in prison who perhaps shouldn't be there because of the way that this lab handled DNA testing. And Dave, behind the scenes, the Australian has been fighting to get the right to publish these cases that are mentioned in the evidence to the inquiry. There had been a suppression order over many of those cases. This shows why it's important, doesn't it, why it matters? It certainly does. This case of Timothy Henderson, his mum, Joanna Locke, it really puts a human face on the things that the lab is looking at without being able to actually identify cases and just talking about them remotely without names. It's really not showing people how significant this inquiry is to Queensland and more broadly to forensic science across the country. David Murray is the Australian's national crime correspondent. Thanks for joining us on The Front. You can read all Australia's best news, business, sport and politics right now at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.